Hello and welcome to episode 60 of Command Space on 5x5. My name is Mike Hurley and I have the pleasure today of being joined by two guests. I have Mr. Dan Provost and Thomas Gerhardt of Studio Neat. Hi guys. Hey. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Pretty good. Pretty good. I got both of your names pronounced correctly, right? I realized as I was saying it that I should have checked. Um... Well, I, it depends. So I don't know how someone in the UK would pronounce my last name. I know how an American would, and a, and a German would pronounce my last name. It's Gerhardt. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the D is like, you know, silent. But, you know. I went, I went with no. Gerhardt. So ah. it's just, that, just that, that, that little syllable there. Well, it sounded good in your UK voice, though. So. Everything does, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, what do you like to be known for? Uh, do you mean... Uh, as individually or like the company? Both. Hmm. I like to be known simply as the man who put a smile on the face of everyone he meets. Oh damn, that's <laughs> just just that's, a very just a very small goal. <laughs> uh, that's my uh that's my David Brent reference. Uh, <laughs> I figured it was appropriate for the show. Of course. Uh, um um, I'll go first. Um, I, I think I like to be known for someone who like makes things like clever things and beautiful things. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's it. At least that's what I really love, like seeing and get excited about. So that's what I would like to be known for. I think. Yeah. Individually. I don't know. I'm just happy to be known for being the co-founder of Studio Neat and how that's going and how people respond to the stuff we make is, uh, that's plenty for me at the moment. <laughs> and what is Studio Neat, Dan? Uh, so we're a, a small company. It's just the two of us, Tom and I, and we make stuff. It's, it's becoming harder and harder to uh, simply explain what we do, but uh, we make hardware products like uh, the Glyph and Cosmonaut, which were for uh, kind of fit into the Apple ecosystem. And uh, now we're doing this new thing with kind of these bar tools. And we also make uh, software. We have a couple iPhone apps. Um, so we're just basically uh, a couple of dudes that like to make things. So, Tom, tell me, yep. how did Studio Neat come to be? Um, out of necessity, <laughs> so, um, the kind of, you know, simple origin story is Dan and I have known each other for, um, God, 10 years or something. Uh, and, um, we actually went to the same high school, although we didn't know each other in high school. Um, we met an undergrad of college, um, in like an architectural, like architecture program, um, and then we found ourselves both moving to New York for grad school at the same time. Um, and a couple years, like right after we graduated from our respective kind of grad school programs in New York, um, we were living close to each other and we were like, oh, maybe we should, you know, work on something together. Um, and then this was right into the early 2010, right when the iPhone 4 had come out with this like really great camera. And Dan was like, man, you know, this camera's awesome, but I, I, all my photos and video like, could be a lot better if I could just like stick this thing on a tripod. And so he texted me one day. and was like, hey, you know, what do you think about this idea? Let's like work on it. Um, and that was in like, I guess, like June of 2010. And 
uh, we, you know, just started sketching and just kind of playing around in our free time with this kind of idea that eventually became the glyph. Um, and so we didn't have, you know, we didn't know what to do with it. And so we put it up on uh, Kickstarter, which was like a new thing for us. And uh, we'd never really seen a product on there, but we had seen some kind of other pro- projects on there. Um, and then it just blew up and went crazy. Um, and so we realized, you know, right, right kind of after that, that this, we need to do something. And so we mostly formed an LLC company out of necessity and we had to come up with the names. So we're like, ah, Studio Neat. And um, the rest is kind of history. So why did you choose Kickstarter for the Glyph? Uh, I, I had used it as a, a backer uh, in the past. I think the first project I ever backed was the Designing Obama book, was, which was basically uh, kind of a retrospective uh, put together by the kind of lead designer of the Obama presidential campaign. Um, and so that was my first experience with Kickstarter, and I just didn't believe it. It seemed too good to be true. This idea that I could just, you know, kick in fifty bucks, and then if enough people did that, I would get this awesome, like, really well designed hardcover book in the mail, you know, a few months later. So I just had like a really positive first impression with the experience, and it seemed like something kind of important and special and and a, and a way to do things like that on a smaller scale. So I think when we started with the Glyph idea, uh, the idea of using Kickstarter to make it happen was always kind of an option we were considering. And we considered other things like, uh, you know, funding it ourselves, you know, borrowing money or... One option we briefly considered was simply selling the 3D prints as the final product and just um, kind of going that direction. Um, but I think pretty early on, it seemed like Kickstarter was going to be the way to go. So the glyph was put on Kickstarter. The funding started on October 3rd, 2010. Um, you had a goal of $10,000. So you had to meet the 10,000, as everybody knows. You had to meet the 10,000 for the product to be made. Um, you made $137,417 uh, with 5,273 backers. When you were going into this, did you expect that it would even be funded? Uh, no. <laughs> well, uh, we, yeah, no, well, I mean, I think we had an idea that, like, we could make 500 of them and it would, you know, we were hoping that it would work out, but we definitely had zero expectations um, that, that what happened would happen. Um, I think some of that is because it had not really happened before um, for that type of thing. And, you know, we were not approaching this even as a business. We were mostly approaching it as like a project, something that we thought was cool and we wanted other people to have. Um, and so, yeah, we, we really had no expectations of like how it would turn out. And and really, it you know, after that first day, because we got our, we like tripled our funding and like the first day, things changed and we we're like, holy shit, like, whoa, like what's going on? <laughs> um, so, but yeah, but not going in, we had really no expectations like that. So, I mean, I think at the time, part of what, as, as aside from being an, an amazing project, um, I think part of what really helped you 
go past that 30,000 mark to the, the massive amount that you reached was that you guys kind of became a bit of a Kickstarter darling. Um, it was a massive amount of money, I believe the largest Kickstarter project for a while um, in funding terms. And also it was because it was this hardware thing by these independent guys who put up a goal and smashed it in the thir- in the first day. You know, the first few days, it was just like a huge amount of money and continued to grow. What was that feeling like at the time? Like, especially going through the end and then afterwards as well. Like, you know, you guys remained and still to this day are like one of those Kickstarter people in that regard. Like you're seen as a company that has had great success on there. Dan, what does that feel like? Uh, exhilarating, I guess is the word. Um, yeah, it's, it's almost an indescribable feeling of, uh, I mean, if you kind of put aside the whole, the money aspect or, you know, what does this mean? Are we starting a company now? It's just a really good feeling to kind of instantly connect with, you know, that many people at once. So just the feeling of, you know, hey, we did something that people, you know, actually want and are actually, you know, willing to, you know, give us 20 bucks for this thing that doesn't exist yet because they believe in the idea and they, you know, believe in us to execute. So it really is uh, an amazing and, and pretty indescribable feeling. Um, so I encourage others to, uh, <laughs> to try it as well and to, uh, you know, to chase that. To, like, irrespective of the amount of money, it came down to the fact that you now had to make 5,200 of these things um, just to fulfill the, the orders. So when that, when that came to an end, Tom, was that a great feeling or, or was it like a burden? Uh, do you mean the campaign came to an end or like we're done like producing? When a- the campaign came to an end. <laughs> um, you know, we lucked out um, in that the kind of scope of what we had to do was a very well-known problem in kind of like the manufacturing industry. And it, it was very simple. Um, and so we also got really lucky with finding like a manufacturer who kind of understood where we were and knew exactly what to do. Um, and so by the time we were even, I even like midway through the campaign, we kind of had figured out how we were going to do it. Um, and, who was going to do it for us. And we had, you know, like how much it was going to cost, how long it was going to take. Um, and we trusted the people who were going to make it for us. So um, we just kind of were mostly concerned about getting it out before Christmas and kind of had this time crutch. But if I'm remembering correctly, I think we were, felt pretty good um, about the process until we got to the factory um, and we had a little problem. And it was a problem that was very solvable but I think the thing that Dan and I realized was, you know, if you, if you think about manufacturing as kind of an outsider, you think it's like these perfect machines that make these perfect products and they do it without any problem. And, you know, they make, they make them the same every time. And that bu- bubble kind of burst for us once we kind of got to the factory and saw that it was a really organic process. Um, and so I think it kind of got a little bit more scary once it was almost done. Um, 
But yeah, when we were kind of in the naivete, like euphoria of like the campaign, we were like, oh, cool, we got this all set up. We just need to push a button and it'll go. But um, luckily, it actually worked out that way. But um, as we found out, it rarely does. So I think we just got really lucky um, and we're kind of blissfully unaware of what the problems could be. And that's why it was okay. <laughs> so after the success of the glyph, you guys went away and you had some more ideas and two projects came after this. Uh, two more Kickstarter projects, so Cosmonaut and Simple Bracket. So Cosmonaut is a uh, iPad stylus unlike any that's been seen before. Instead of being more like a pen, it was more like a dry erase marker in, in sort of size. And then Simple Bracket was an app that you guys launched for March Madness, which is a basketball thing, my, is my understanding. Yeah, yes. Yes. yes College correct. basketball thing. <laughs> so both of these smashed their goals as well. Um, 134,000 against 50,000 for the Cosmonaut and 12,000 against 10,000 for Simple Bracket. So these projects are very different to each other. And I assume that you probably um, learnt more about your craft from the Cosmonaut because it's a, um, a physical project. But we'll come to that in a minute. What about what about Simple Bracket? So this was your first iOS app, is that correct? Uh, second, actually. Okay, did you have Framewalker before that then? Yeah, yes, yeah. For a Simple Bracket, just was just this last March or February. So that's a good new guy. And then Framographer was uh, to March of 2012. So you had some experience in building iOS apps at that point then? Yes, yeah. So yes. you were pr going into that one, did you feel that there was maybe less risk? I mean, how was the app nearly ready at the point that you launched the Kickstarter project? Yeah. Uh, th yeah, the simple bracket was a... Yeah, I feel like that's such an outlier and kind of what we've done. It was very yeah. just us kind of experimenting, uh, trying something new and seeing what happens. So it was another reason it was bizarre is we were tying this iPhone app to a very specific event in time, which is, you know, the March Madness college basketball tournament. So uh, the uh, delivery date obviously couldn't slip because then we would miss the tournament and the app would be pointless. So... Mm -hmm. We had all of these, all this kind of pressure, and so the the Kickstarter was kind of timed in a way to a, you know, obviously get a little bit of funding to help us, you know, across the finish line, but b to just kind of garner excitement and uh, attention, and uh, more importantly, get everyone on board at the right time, so that we can all together kind of participate in this thing that's like I said, tied to a very specific point in time. Because I guess an interesting thing about Kickstarter is it is its own marketing machine. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if, you're, if you have a, a, a relatively successful project, it becomes like a marketing platform as well as a platform to sell it because people start to pick it up and link to it and stuff like that, maybe more than if you just announced it on your website. Yeah, and, and uh, especially with Symbol Bracket, people... You're, if if you get users to buy in, even for a dollar, um, you have like a conduit to speak to them. And with Simple Bracket, that was really important because basically, it's kind of technical, but the basketball teams for this tournament are announced on like a Sunday. It's called Selection Sunday, and then like three days later, everyone has to have like made their picks and are like on board, have the app downloaded, and have done something in the app. 
and then the tournament starts. So if we didn't have, we only had that little three week or three day window to get all the users on board in the app and set mm-hmm. up. So that's why Kickstarter was like particularly important to us because we just needed to be able to talk to people and like get them pumped at the same time. Um, and and then you know of course you know Dan and I kind of built this app, you know like kind of just with our own money and our own time um, and had some outside uh, design help for some of it. And so, you know, it was also kind of like the Kickstarter was kind of like paying us back somewhat and then like helping us run the servers and stuff for the tournament. So, oh, one quick question before I move on. So in the video, which people, you can find the page in the show notes, which is at 5by5.tv slash cmdspace slash 60. In the video... I believe it's you, Dan. You do a an overarm. Uh, you throw a basketball over your back, basically, and it and it goes in the hoop. Mm-hmm. How many takes? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a common question. It actually, <laughs> I think I counted. Uh, it was on that was the twenty second take hmm. uh, where I made that shot. So it wasn't too terrible. It was about. 35 degrees out, I think, when we were filming that. So I wouldn't take any longer than that. Um, so, yeah, the whole that, that shot probably took, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes before, uh, before I finally made it. How do you keep that sort of excitement? Because you, you're very deadpan, <laughs> right? So it goes in. How do you not, like, just cheer? He's a I, professional. Yeah, yeah, professional actor. I was actually a little, when I released it, it looked a little bit off. So when it went in, I, I was kind of surprised. And so I wasn't expecting it to go in. And so I was able to uh, kind of keep my emotions in check, luckily. <laughs> we were too cold to be able to make facial expressions. Was- yeah, you were actually screaming, but your faces yeah. were frozen. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So I, uh, I've, from watching a video of a talk that you guys did at um, XOXO last year, a really, really interesting talk that will also be in the show notes for people to watch, which I urge people to do, um, which you guys did a very great job on, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my understanding from this was that the cosmonauts seemed to, pay, to face more problems than the glyph did when it came to manufacture, um, and that the project, you delivered it, um, not within the timeframes that you initially wanted. Is that correct? Yes. What What happened there? Like, what was different about the cosmonauts' process and, and manufacturer that made it different from the glyph? Well, uh, two things. I think one, our expectations um, were like too high from the glyph because the glyph went really well in hindsight, but we didn't know it right when we had just done it. Yeah. Um, and so we we estimated poorly uh, with our Kickstarter campaign. So that's half of it. And then the other half was, um, you know, we're kind of dealing with a little bit more science and material uh, engineering. Um, and then we thought what was a common um, manufacturing technique was not. So basically the problem arose from making the Cosmonaut. It's basically a stylus, but the whole thing is rubber on the outside yep. and it has a big tip. And so um, that rubber is all electrically conductive. Um, And so basically all the manufacturing problems had to do with finding this tip material that was low friction, conductive enough, soft enough, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, we basically spent like nine months talking to people about different materials. And basically the long and short of it is, there weren't any manufacturers in the U.S. that we knew of, and definitely not the ones we were working with, who had ever had experience making a stylus tip before. 
And so it was kind of walking through a process with them to kind of figure out the right thing. Um, and so really it was just, you know, you know, a long process of kind of that engineering. And, and because um, this isn't just us going down to a hardware store and finding a material and trying it out, it takes much longer, right? So, um, you know, for us to get a sample of, of a material, it might take two weeks. And for them to try it in like a prototype mold, it might take like three. And so, you know, it was super frustrating for us because we couldn't iterate quickly um, and try things out quickly because we were depending on like material suppliers and, you know, then a manufacturing process. So it was just really slow going. Um, but it all worked out in the end. <laughs> yeah, because I guess... It you have to trick the iPad into thinking it's a thing, a finger, right? That's the yeah, and it's actually tricky to make it to trick it, and and at the same time, we wanted it to be um, you know as small of a tip as possible, and that like exactly works against you tricking the iPad. So it was it was I mean we could have you know shipped a crappier product sooner, but um, you know we really wanted to make sure that it was what we said it was going to be, and it was up to our standards, and so that's. That's kind of uh, why it took longer. But, you know, most Kickstarter backers understand that. And they're like, okay, we trust you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take longer, but it's going to be better. But then there's, you know, like a vocal minority who kind of think of Kickstarter as like a, a store or something. And yeah. so they're just, uh, they don't understand, you know, why it's taking so long, basically. It is interesting because it's, um, it's not how we pay for things. Yep. Like, you, you typically don't put the money down and then you'll get it in like four months time it's it's a strange thing to do for those sort of transaction values so i yep. think that some people don't really understand that um yeah because it's yeah. it might be the first time they've ever backed something for example yeah when a, any seasoned kickstarter backer knows that don't expect it at any point <laughs> <laughs> just know that one day you'll receive it just, just forget about it and then it'll be a surprise <laughs> yeah exactly a little gift to yourself a little gift to future you right. <laughs> So, what was the cosmonaut and and the issues that you had there? Was that the biggest challenge that you've had for, for any of your campaigns so far? So far, I would say yeah. There were some pretty dark days, dark nights. <laughs> oh, uh, while that was going on, just yeah. I mean, one thing we've kind of uh, told ourselves now that we've kind of overcome that is, if it wasn't for Kickstarter. And the support of these people uh, that were kind of already on board for it, we probably would have given up. So, like, if we were just developing the Cosmonaut independently and, um, you know, we were just going to fund it ourselves and then just release it when it was finished, my my feeling is there would have been a certain point where we would have just said, you know, this is just this is too much work. This is, we're not getting this how we want it. Let's just, you know, table this for now and maybe we'll come back to it later. But because we were, you know, all in with cause with uh, Kickstarter and, you know, very publicly, um, you know, showing this thing, uh, it really pushed us and encouraged us to, you know, make something that was great instead of just, you know, a, a substandard thing. Like Tom mentioned, you know, we could have released at any point along the way. That's quite interesting, right? Because at the time you're probably thinking, "Oh, I wish we wouldn't. <laughs> I wish we would have just made it up front." But then afterwards, it must be like, "Okay, maybe it was a good thing because you probably would have never completed the project, or you would have done it many, many years down the line where the problem might not exist anymore." 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like really awesome motivation. I mean, you know, for us, have, having Kickstarter there, I mean, the money is definitely like a very critical thing. But I would say just as critically is having people who seem like care about what you're doing yeah. and are interested in what you're doing. I mean, you know, we all kind of we're lucky because we live in this Internet age where, you know, people you can tweet to people and they can ask you how you're doing or you can like tease stuff. But like, you know, five years ago, that wasn't the case. And like Kickstarter for us is such a big part of our business and the kind of the way we think about things. Um, it's not the only thing we do, but when we have these big projects that are going to take a long time and a lot of money, Kickstarter works in so in so many great ways for us and it's not just the money thing it's more about you know having a structure for it and having this motivation of these backers um it's really it's really great now we will talk about the ice kit in in a bit more detail in a minute which is your newest <laughs> kickstarter project but just related to what you just said um with you know the success that you guys have you've built a business now which i'll talk about that in a minute as well um do you choose to use Kickstarter now or could you make these products and just sell them from a store directly? Um, I mean, I, I guess it's always a choice to some degree. Um, but for uh, a lot of these projects, I mean, all of the ones that we've done on Kickstarter so far, it just made so much more sense to do it as a Kickstarter project for all the reasons that Tom just stated yeah. that... You know, I suppose in theory we could figure out a way to to not do it through Kickstarter, but we would just be shooting ourselves in the foot. Like there would be no advantages for doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, as long as long as we feel that it, it keeps making sense, then we'll keep using it. Because I guess something can always feel like a great idea, and it maybe is a great idea, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's a market for it, and you're not going to know that until you put it out into the world for people to buy and Kickstarter allows you to to find out if there is a paying market with little to no risk. Totally. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But, you know, on the other hand, we have launched, uh, th- I guess, three or so products now off of Kickstarter and we currently have um, a product which will hopefully be released this fall um, that is not on Kickstarter um, and that, you know, mm. we're kind of just funding on our own and going to produce it on our own. Um, and so, you know, we, we've definitely been able to do both and we're at the point where we could, you know, for some things kind of raise, have, have the capital ourselves to be able to do it. Um, so it really just depends on the product. And it's, it's a lot of what you said where, you know, for this product we're kind of releasing on our own, we kind of know that the market's there and we have experience with that. So it's not like an oddball, whereas like this ice kit, you know, we had no idea, like, you know, we we <laughs> could have gotten zero backers, right? We were like, I got, I, we think this is cool. Like ice? Who wants yeah. frozen water? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it really is a combo of things. And um, we're just lucky enough to be able to position where we, we have that choice. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we've done it both ways. And I think we'll continue to do both. So the Glyph and the Cosmonaut, they are now products that you have a permanent store for you've updated the glyph you've added extra um, additions to the glyph i think it's the glyph plus is that right is it plus yep mm-hmm. yeah um so now you have a permanent method of manufacture and delivery and a store um 
how did you find setting that up? Because it's very different. You don't need to do a run. You need to have partners that will manufacture for you when necessary or hold a stock. Um, how did you find setting up that part? It was, I mean, this, so basically everything that we have now, the store and our order fulfillment was set up uh, during the Glyph campaign or right after it ended. So it's actually, I'm actually kind of surprised and happy that the tools that we kind of decided on, you know, thoughtfully, but in somewhat of a, of a time crunch uh, during the Glyph campaign have, have held up and we're continuing to use them. So uh, you know, the, the store, which we use, uh, Shopify and then our, uh, order fulfillment, we use a company called Chipwire. It was just out of necessity of that campaign. You know, we had 5,000 orders to ship. Uh, so we knew we needed some extra help. We weren't, it was going to take too long if it was just the two of us, you know, stuffing envelopes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we just, you know, did a little bit of research and, and ended up with, uh, with those companies. So now that's just a business that continues to, you know, to generate a, a source of income for you. Then I assume, like the, those parts of the business, the existing products, people still buy and and stuff like that. I, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yep. And and I and it's funny. I've been thinking about this lately, and I think it's one of the things that I'm kind of most like happy or proud that we have done. Um, <clears throat> just because it really is kind of amazing. Like Dan and I could both go on vacation for, you know, like a month and things wouldn't fall apart. I mean, I think customer service is the one piece that we would really need to be there for, but we've got to have it set it up very intentionally so that, you know, it's we're mostly hands off um, with all that and it can just run itself because we want to spend our time designing yes. and making things. Um, and so, but I mean, it, it's taken us a lot of kind of work and and really a very conscious choice like every time we make a decision it's all about how simple is this how is this going to impact our day-to-day um and so but i'm really actually really proud that like what of what we've built in terms of like logistics and kind of the way we run things because it's what it's what we want and we've not let ourselves kind of slide on that and i think um it's really something to be proud of actually and we kind of i Forget about that summit. It's not like a public thing, but um, there is really an art to that, I think, like building that kind of business. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can just fall out of bed and have a machine that runs on its own. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's how it's done. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about the ice kit with you. Um, but before we do that, I just I, I do have some bills to pay. And I would like to, to just thank our sponsor for this episode, if that's okay with you, fine gentlemen. Sounds good. Do it. So this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it really easy to create your own website. And during the month of September, they're giving you 20% off and a free trial if you go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TALLYHO9. Squarespace are constantly doing great stuff to improve their platform with new features, new designs, and even greater support. They have beautiful designs that you can start with and all the style options you need to create a unique website for your business. They have over 20 highly customizable templates for you to choose from. These templates and designs have won numerous design awards from prestigious institutions like FWA, or Foire, I don't know what one that is, the Webby's <laughs> and Forbes. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want any help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They have over 70 employees dedicated to customer support. They're, they're based in New York City and their office has been nicknamed the Care Bear Lair. So that 
shows you the type of care that they put into customer service. And they've won numerous awards for this as well. Most recently, a Gold Stevie Award for customer service. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month and include a free domain name if you sign up for a year. And every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website. So your content's going to look great on every device every time. It's basically beautiful, responsive web design. We all know that Squarespace looks fantastic on the outside. You can see that from any Squarespace site that you go to. But what's also amazing is that all their code is beautiful too. Squarespace takes just as much pride in their back end as they do in their front end. And they ensure that your site's content can be crawled by Google, Yahoo, Bing, and all other search engines. And they take care of all of the hosting and all that nasty stuff too, so you don't have to. Go to squarespace.com right now, sign up for a free trial, try it out, I know that you're going to love it, and make sure you get 20% off this month and support this show by using the code TALLYHO9, that's T-A-L-L-Y-H-O and the number 9. So go check out Squarespace, everything that you need to create an exceptional website. So Dan, I think yes. last week you guys launched your newest project called the Neat Ice Kit. Please tell me what the Neat Ice Kit is. The Neat Ice Kit is a uh, collection of tools that you can use at home to create fancy ice for uh, at-home cocktails. So there's kind of this uh, uh, array of, of ice you can make. So the, uh, the first type is just a, a very large, perfectly crystal clear cube that you would use in a, you know, a drink like the Old Fashioned or something, then you can use this uh, ice chisel that it comes with to um, break it up further to use in like a tall and skinny drink like a Tom Collins. And then it also comes with something called a Lewis bag, which is uh, a canvas bag that you put ice in and then uh, thwack it with a club, basically, and you can create crust, crushed ice. So it's, it's an at-home kit for creating various types of ice for cocktails. Why ice? <laughs> <laughs> uh, good question. Um, well, it's kind of the piece that's missing. Like, and if you go to a really fancy cocktail bar, you know, making a cocktail you can do at home. Like, you can buy the ingredients um, and you can learn, you know, how to do it. And it's not really that difficult. Um, but the thing that you can't do is have this like really beautiful ice. Um, and you know, a, a really fancy cocktail bar like buys these very expensive commercial machines to get this done. That or they have like huge ice blocks delivered to them, and they like manually chop them up. Um, and so that was kind of the starting point where you know it was like. Man, I wonder if this would be fun. Like, or I wonder if you can do this. And it kind of sent us on this long series of science experiments. Um, but for me, the the thing that's really nice about it is not just getting this clear ice, but um, kind of going through the process and like caring about something. So you know, it's very it's a very precious process, right? I mean, it takes much longer than like going and getting an ice piece of ice out of like a silicone ice, like a, like a little plastic tray or something. But the process of like breaking the brick and like caring about it and it's just fun. Um, and so I think for us, it's really turned into just like a a really nice, fun way to kind of interact um, and have this like kind of tradition in this process. Um, 
Yeah, so, yeah. I, I think that was the key. Uh, sorry to talk over you, Tom. No, go ahead. Uh, but we, uh, I think that was the, the the real turning point. You know, we were we started working on this idea. I think back in January or maybe February, mm-hmm. and uh, we're always kind of teetering. Like, you know, is, is this a product? Like, does this make sense? And then when we started to, when we iterated enough to where we were at the point of um, kind of the ice chisel aspect and where you're actually adding this physical process to it, um, that's when it started to become actually fun. And it was actually adding something to it besides just the end result of this beautiful ice. So I think that was the moment when we kind of decided like this was an interesting product. So it's quite interesting for me because the weekend before you um, announced, I was at a, a fancy cocktail bar um, in Europe's tallest building in London called The Shard. <laughs> and they had these huge blocks of clear ice. And you show in in your Kickstarter video these huge blocks of clear ice. And, uh, and I, I remembered remarking to my buddy who I was with how I'd never seen ice like that before. Um, and it, I found it very interesting. The guy, we were basically standing right in front of it. Then the guy basically took a chisel to it, broke it in half and just smashed it into pieces in front of us, throwing glo- throwing ice just all over us, but not really seeming to care about it. But that's not, not the story. Like, that's not pertinent to this story, but I just thought that was funny. But I had <laughs> noticed it and, and it intrigued me. So then when I saw you guys doing this, I mean, I'll buy whatever you make anyway, but I was interested um, in it. I mean, so yeah, I think it's... It's probably not going to help uh, my drinking levels, but we don't need to worry about things like that. These, this, you know, we don't need to worry about. You're young, like exactly. I'll work it all up later. So you show very, and you mentioned it as well when we were just talking about it. That you, you've got like three different types of ice that this kit will make. Um, why? And and you make these 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 types of ice in, in very specific ways. Um, why these methods? Are these the standard methods to make ice like this? Or was it just something, was this like a method that you thought would work best or was the most fun? Well, using an ice chisel or an ice pick is definitely common, Um, especially if, you know, like cocktail bars have these ice programs and they're using machines that create huge blocks of ice. And then usually it starts with like a chainsaw to get it down into manageable chunks and then it's, you know, ice picks and ice chisels and things like that to break it into pieces that can fit into a glass. So the the ice chisel is definitely, you know, has precedent in ice, in the art of ice carving, I guess. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's that's not where we started. I mean, we, we started with all these kind of ideas of how this thing could work. Um, lots and lots of prototypes but it, it kind of occurred later on where the key for us was separating the clear portion from the cloudy portion, um, which is just using our insulated mold. That's how the ice freezes is uh, the kind of cloudy white part of the ice is pushed to the bottom. So you have a, a clear differentiation of the clear section and the cloudy section. So it was this question of you know, how do you separate those two? And it's a tricky problem to solve, and and then we eventually arrived at, you know, using an ice pick or an ice chisel uh, is the best and kind of most fun way to do that. Just as we're talking, I'm changing my pledge. Oh. I'm I'm getting two of them. 
Nice. Because I was just thinking to myself, I mean, one's great, but when my girlfriend wants a drink, I'll be like, we need to wait for four hours, (laughs) freezing some ice. Hold on. (laughs) So I'm going to get, because you do two, right? You can get one or two. Right. Because the Kickstarter is currently going on now as you hear this episode. If if you hear it within a couple of weeks of it, of it being out, um, the, the, you can still back this project and we'll talk about that a little bit more as well. But um, how did you learn, Tom, tell me, how did you learn what you needed to do sort of process and science-wise and yeah. the tools that you needed? Because I can't imagine you just roll out a bird one day and know no. how to make clear ice. Like, I can't imagine it's very easy and it's probably like a hair-pulling uh, process. Yeah, it's funny. You know, we had this idea like, man, I want to make this clear ice at home. I'm sure that's not too tricky. <laughs> so at first we we're like, oh, then we'll, we'll figure it out or there must be something. Um, and and it took, I don't know, it literally took a very long time. I mean, we kind of got the fundamentals down um, pretty quick. Um, and really, it's funny because there's not doesn't seem to be a lot of science available to us um, to kind of really figure this out. Like, actually, ice freezing is a very complex and organic thing. Um, and so a lot of the learning we did was mostly like trial and error kind of, you know, in learning that way. Um, but we had a couple resources um, online. This uh, The Alchemist blog, this guy, he's also obsessed with ice and he kind of like about last year, he tried like almost everything um, within, you know, vibrating the water, boiling it, do, using distilled water, doing this or that. And um, the way they kind of surfaced uh, and that we kind of latched onto is about directionally freezing the ice. So basically the way our the ice kit works is, you know, we have this silicone cup that's like an ice mold, right? And we have an insulation around every side but the top side. And so when you put it in the freezer, um, you know, it starts freezing at the top first, and then it slowly freezes downward. And as it's freezing, as the water's freezing, it's pushing down all the impurities, all the air bubbles, and everything down into the bottom. And that's why when you take it out of the mold, it's clear on the top and then cloudy on the bottom. Um, And so that's kind of... um, in principle, how the commercial machines work as well. Um, but they, you know, usually have a pump involved and kind of like a freezing plate and all this stuff. Um, and so we wanted something that was very simple, uh, but that still, you know, had this kind of, t- you know, took advantage of this kind of physics of directionally freezing ice. Um, and so we found out pretty quickly that that was the way to do it. And then it became a problem of, okay, how do we separate the clear ice from the you know, dirty ice, quote unquote, or, you know, how do we do this? What insulation works best? Uh, what thickness of insulation? What shape of ice cube works? Um, and so it was just a lot, you know, but then we had all kinds of things. Maybe the water temperature does matter. And then the other big unknown is like, what type of water? Uh, what f- setting should your freezer be at? So there's all these like millions <laughs> of variables. Um, and so, you know, it's still very messy. I mean, you know, Depending on your freezer and depending on your water, you're going to get a little bit different results. Um, but it was just basically, you know, six or nine months of just trial and error. Um, you know, me showing videos of, to Dan, like, oh, hey, this is what I got this morning. What did you get? You know, every morning, basically, we'd wake up and he's like, look at our treasure of like what ice we made. Uh, so we just ruining all the frozen about- food that you have as well, like just yeah, turning the freezer exactly. up and down. <laughs> yeah. 
And it's, you know, so now I go, like, I go into places and I look at the ice and I will, like, ask the bartender, oh, so you guys have a cold draft machine? And they're oh, like, what? You guys, you know. and, the, and the bartender, like, looks at me like, what are you talking about? I was like, the thing that makes the ice. Do you have, is it a cold draft? And he's like, I don't know. Let me check. And he goes back and walks. And he's like, yeah, it's a cold draft. So it's, you know, it's are this you an weird. ice salesman, sir? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I guess we technically are. Uh, so it's a weird world to kind of wade into um but it is fun to kind of think about that and get kind of really fussy and serious about this one little thing because you know of course it's silly um but that's kind of the point i mean it's 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 kind of nice to spend a lot of time doing something that you don't need to do you know it's kind of like people who make handmade you know leather wallets or something right i mean even the one made in china might even be better in some ways, right? But um, taking the time to do something and knowing how it's working and um, really caring about it makes you appreciate the drink more and makes you appreciate what you're doing. Um, and so that's kind of the whole spirit of the thing. Like we understand that it's silly and frivolous, but it's kind of the point. <laughs> and you've, you know, you've made it so it's not just about the clear ice. You yep. have other tools in the kit which allow you to do something with the not-so-good ice. That you get yeah. like the cloudy ice, so you can crush it or you can chop it up and stuff like Use that. Use the whole buffalo, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but yeah, so like what Dan was saying before, I mean, I think what really convinced us to move forward with this was uh, the product finally had a story, um, and and for us, it's pretty important for the things we make to to have a story and to really have a reason to exist. Um, and so for us, once we realized that we could kind of solve everyone's like complete ice situation and there's these different tools and there's a process and there's kind of these diagrams that walk you through the process. Um, that, as soon as that became like a story and and like kind of a full circle, that's when you're like, okay, this makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I think the really important piece for us. I, we wouldn't have done it if it was probably just just a clear ice you know, machine, basically. Yeah. So the goal that you set this time uh, was $50,000. Um, I believe you met this in 36 hours, if if I've got that right. I think it's 24, actually. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You guys, oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I wasn't fast enough. Edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you met this in two minutes. Is that correct? <laughs> um, and as as of recording now, you're um, just just shy of ninety five thousand dollars with twenty three days to go. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank um, you. Thanks everyone. I mean, it maybe looks like it's on track to be almost successful. Who knows? Um, <laughs> that would be incredible, of course. Yeah. Um, you set a larger goal this time. Why did you do that? Uh, I mean, just like our other projects, it's uh, an estimate based on um, research we've done and uh, preliminary quotes from manufacturers we've received. Uh, it it has a lot more, it's quite a bit more complicated than our others just in terms of number of parts that need to be produced and you know vendor coordination and all these types of things. So... Uh, that was just kind of, you know, our, our best guess at a, at a rough kind of minimum amount we would need to make it happen. So do, looking back at your previous campaigns um, and, you know, the way that they've gone and the successes that you've had, did you plan or make any considerations for this being a massive success, like making many more than you expected? 
this um, the need ice kit specifically yeah um y- yes and no so um it's it's actually really difficult so uh, there are some particular manufacturing problems that are unique to um like the foam insulation and some of the other things where scale is really important um, and so basically, we had two approaches with this Kickstarter campaign. So either we would kind of barely make our goal and we would manufacture it this one way um, and we were kind of set up for that contingency. And then we had kind of this other path, which we're in right now, where if we like, you know, double the goal or so, we would have enough quantity and capital to kind of go down this other manufacturing route. Um, so for us, you know, we kind of had a plan for both situations. And I think that that comes from us, you know, knowing, having experience and knowing that either situation could easily happen. Um, and so we actually spent a lot of time really worrying about how the manufacturing would go, making sure that we had quotes and lead times for all of um, the kind of contingency plans because, you know, it's very easy to get kind of caught with your pants down Um because, the, you know, when you're interacting with, like, the gears of industry, um, you often do not have much power. And so when it turns out that, you know, to mold a, fo- a, a foam thing, you have to make 100,000 of them, and you didn't realize that before you did your Kickstarter campaign, you know, you're in trouble. Um, oh, well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> You've got so, 95,000 sitting in a warehouse. Congratulations. <laughs> that's right. If you could even pay for it, right? So you yeah. break when you pay for it. So, um, so, you know, because Dan and I like jump around a lot and like what we make as a company, you know, like we've never molded a, made a foam thing or cut a wood piece or making a metal blade. We just had to make sure and do a lot of homework and, and to make sure that, you know, our expectations are correct and that we can do it and we can, you know, do what we're promising basically. And I think that just comes from, you know, having friends who have, you know, done Kickstarter campaigns of different sorts, and we've done a couple, and so I think it's just that um, has really helped us out. But um, it is very tricky. I mean, it's all a guess, um, but hopefully we made good ones. And you, like, how how did you source the materials? I mean, you've got multiple different material types here. I mean, do you have ones of varying quality that you'd look through? I know there was a lot of product testing that went into it, but... So how much um, stock do you put into just finding nice wood and, and, and stuff like that to use? A lot. I mean, Dan, you're, you're sitting next to a pile of foam as am I, correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's what you would expect. Just lots of uh, gathering of samples and, uh, you know, yeah, let's like we ordered. Yeah, my apartment's pretty much full of foam right now and just uh, foam that, A, you know, testing for uh, how well it actually works in terms of an insulation, but B, just like kind of how it feels and stuff. And that's, and that's true for every part of it, you know, the, the canvas and, and the wood type for the muddler and, and all these things. So, yeah, it's just there's not too much to it. It's just, just, you know, gathering as much information as we can and then making a choice. Yeah. So, Tom, tell me. What can we expect to see next for Studio Neat? What's on What's on the roadmap? No idea. Well, <laughs> who we, knows? <laughs> we have uh, a couple pieces of soft, software that we um, are interested in doing soon, and um, we, like I said, I mentioned we have another hardware project coming out in the 
fall. Um, and then I think, you know, for us, one of the exciting things about this neat ice kit is, um, and because we've had a, a, a good response, Dan and I are interested in kind of, you know, kind of expanding in that area. Um, because, you know, we both love cocktail things and I think it's an area where, um, it could use some like innovation and kind of design touch in some places. And so we're excited about the possibility of kind of expanding in the cocktail bar, uh, tool world. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, we'll, we'll keep going, but you know, we don't plan, you know, the kind of way we, our production cycles work is we, you know, we kind of wait around until we get an idea that really works or we try things and they don't work and then we get an idea and it just so happened that we had like kind of three ideas at the same time. And so we're in the mode of doing a lot of production and managing the manufacturing and that's going to keep us busy through, you know, at least uh, the cr Christmas, you know, the holidays. And so, you know, it's going to be software and managing production for the next, you know, while. And then, you know, once we, that's kind of cooled down and we got it under control, we'll start thinking about new, new stuff. But right now we got too many other things to worry about. <laughs> so basically, in short, lots. Yeah. Lots, lots. is coming. <laughs> lots, yeah. Lots is coming. We'll, we'll stick around. We kind of try to think of ourselves as like a band and um, we just want to keep making albums, you know, every year or so. And, you know, so that's, that's our whole plan. So, Dan, tell me two things. Tell me one, where can they find out where can everyone find out more about Studio Neat? And two, where can they find out more about the Neat Ice Kit? Studio Neat is just at www.studioneat.com. And if you go there, actually there's a big image on the top of the site that will link you to our Kickstarter page for the Neat Ice Kit. Or you could just go to kickstarter.com and do a search for Neat Ice Kit, and I'm sure that's the only hit, hopefully. Unless <laughs> somebody's <laughs> put another Kickstarter up. Yeah. Yes. Ice Kit Neat. The Neater Ice Kit. <laughs> that's a good idea. You've rumbled me. <laughs> that's, what, that's what this whole show is about. No one's listening to this. I'm just stealing your <laughs> And Dan, what about you personally? How can people catch up with what you're up to uh i suppose just on uh twitter at dan provost um don't go to my personal web page because it's terribly outdated so just twitter will be fine for now <laughs> and what about you tom uh same thing at tom gerhardt i, I kind of want to spell out my name so i can say h because i've been uh I've been wanting to use my British H, but please um, do it. Well, you've used it twice, but do it again. T O M G E R H A R D T. I like it. That's good. I like it when people appreciate the H. <laughs> it's it's not not even everybody in the UK says it like that. Most people don't actually, but but I will never I will never drop it. There are some things that I take care of, like I make sure to pronounce my THs correctly. <laughs> which is not not necessarily the way that I was brought up, where it was free and not three. <laughs> but uh, I, I will never, I will never drop the H. It's dear to my heart. Good. So, guys, I've had an absolute blast. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks it's for having us. It's been fun. And uh, thank you all for listening. If you'd like to find uh, the links to anything we discussed today, go to 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 60. And I am Mike Hurley. I'm at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. And I'll be back with you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.